Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Croswell. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. So, Mark, it's great to be talking with you again today. We were planning today to talk about a blog post that you wrote some time ago on the Allegorical Life blog. Uh, When you wrote that, it was January 2018, and you were reflecting on the Burke Street tragedy that had happened in Melbourne a year earlier. Now, it just so happens that today in March 2019, we find ourselves in the very recent wake of another tragedy which has happened in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, So let's talk about some of the ideas that you raise in your blog post, one of them being that we need to revisit our idea of evil. What do you mean by that? We have um, very traditional understandings of evil as as being, um, well, first of all, present. Um, Second of all, attributed. So in much of our religious thought, we we assign what is essentially an archetypal or mythological image of Satan or the devil. In other words, the presence of something um, in spirit or in energy. and so, it, so it, it has a presence. It has a. It's substantiated in in a mythology that that is literalized in some people's minds as actually existing. And so, so what we do is we think we have to fight it. Or we think we have to stand up against it. Um, there are some philosophers who say, look, what if it was an absence? So rather than being the presence of something, which implies something to be defeated or something to be controlled or contained. What if it was an absence of a virtue? What if it was an absence of compassion or love or kindness? And because of that absence, that the negativity that we define as evil, and I think we should because evil does exist in the context of an absence of something else. So if you're not operating through a mind of love or compassion or consideration or kindness or any other virtue really, then there's a void and it's in that void that negativity rises. It's in that void that non-virtuosity turns up. So now this is very Buddhist, of course. The the Buddhists say that, you know, the mind itself, for example, cannot operate in a void. It's either placing itself on something that's virtuous, neutral or non-virtuous, but it's never placing itself on nothing. If you stop and think about it, anything that we regard as good or evil has to arise from the human mind. It has to arise in the way that we cognise the world, the way that we interpret the world. That's where good and evil comes from. In itself, it has no independent reality. It has no independent existence outside of how we cognise the world. So, and I think that is true. It's certainly well grounded in existential philosophy. And so on that basis, if we are not cognizant of the virtues of the world or, or how we could or should, some would say, um, think, speak and act, then that ignorance or that lack of consciousness or that opportunity for 
the negative aspects of the human mind to rise up, of course, does in fact manifest. Then it, then it moves to words and then it moves to action. Um, now, we've, we've seen this play out uh, a couple of years ago in the Burke Street Mall and we saw it play out in Christchurch um, in a devastatingly um, sad way in the loss of 49 lives by, at the hands of a gunman. Um, so it'll take some time to understand all of this, of course, the most recent event, but looking at the event in Melbourne, and there's a lot of commentary about this, at least initially, about how people responded. And and so I think, Jordan, that I'm as a philosopher, I've got to be a little bit careful that, you know, philosophies and realities can be two different things. And the world does see evil as a presence and it does see evil as something that it needs to be fought. Um, I know that, uh, you know, in, in reading about 9-11, um, you know, there are over 2,000 people that died in the incidents of 9-11, particularly in the Twin Towers. Uh, over 20,000 were killed on the battlefields fighting that evil. And, and that, that doesn't include uh, those on the other side of the equation, uh, so those in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever. It was just the US forces lost over 20,000 people. So 10, 10 times the number of people died pursuing the fight of evil. And... And if you took a philosophical shift and said, but hang on, what if it wasn't the presence of something that needed to be fought, but the absence of something that needed to be filled? And so that you filled public policy and you filled effort with the virtuous notions of being more compassionate in a wise way, I've got to say, we need to talk about wisdom at some point. You know, These things have to be done with wisdom. They're not naive. And if they're dealt with naively, if the virtues are dealt with naively, more harm arises because we operate through foolishness or through ignorance. So we need to be wise about this and that there's a lot of complexity to wisdom, but nonetheless, um, I think we should have the courage to explore it. So, so my proposition is that, yes, evil exists and it is unacceptable and the harms that arise from it are clearly unacceptable and need to be dealt with. And that will move us to action and sometimes that action has to be in what's called extremis, and that may mean taking the life of another in order to stop the loss of life of many others or stop the harm to many others. That needs a lot of uh, wise thought applied to it, but it's still relevant in this context of the absence of something. So people, if they're operating through an absence of something, they're still operating, they're still acting in a harmful way. That harm needs to be dealt with. So not for a minute am I suggesting we should all jump on our cushions and meditate and the world would be perfect because that's just foolish. That's naive. But what I am saying is that when harm rises, rather than seeing it as something to fight, as a presence, that we see it as something to control as an absence. And so if you need to use extremists to control the action, so be it. But if you don't, then then it opens up the opportunity to look at the problem more compassionately uh, and and with other virtues. And the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinta Ardern, who I'm sure we'll talk about more briefly in a minute, um, has established this in her um, on her political landscape. Her, her political ideology, in part, is an ethics of um, kindness, empathy, compassion, and well-being, um, and that's an impressive policy platform in which to move forward on to fill the void. And if you saw an absence of something rather than the presence of evil, but you saw the absence of something which created that evil, you could fill that space with something more useful, something of far greater wisdom. And I think. Really, that's what I'm advocating is that in public policy and politics, in social discourse, what if we recognise that evil is present, but present as an absence of something, not 
present as an inherent existence in its own right. Now that will get particularly the evangelists and many traditional religious thinkers in Western religion probably quite upset. And that's not my intention ever to do that, Jordan. I don't, in speaking of these matters, ever try and upset people. But what I try and do is say, look, ultimately what we all desire is a more compassionate world and a kinder world and a world that exemplifies or was exemplified by those that we worship. And and so we can afford to reinterpret some of the premise of how we establish that wish to be to have a better world without offending um, those that we worship or those that taught us um, what what a good life looked like. So so I've sort of developed the courage in the latter part of my life to maybe you know, put some of these things out there imperfectly as I do, of course, and with a degree of naivety and probably a degree of ignorance. And that's, I think that's true of all people in philosophy that we're continuing to learn about our arguments every day. But nonetheless, I think it's worth speaking to and saying, well, hang on, before we start chasing something here and hunting it down as though it exists and it's present from its own side, why don't we look at it as an absence of something in society and seek to fill that void through something that's better rather than trying to kill off something that doesn't exist in the first place. And Mark, what's your hope for Jacinda Ardern as she navigates the coming weeks and months? I hope that she doesn't resile or step back from her political philosophy. I think what concerns me um, with the the political um, premise of the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is that she's put on the landscape, the political landscape, the need for um, compassion, kindness, empathy and wellbeing. And... And I worry that the events of yesterday in Christchurch may attempt to force her to resile or step back from that premise. And I can't stress enough how important it is for her to maintain that because this we're at a threshold point now in politics where we can fall back to arguments over violence and cause and ideolo- ideologies that promote it. And, and we probably necessarily need to do that on some level. I don't think we can be naive about that or, or assume that those arguments aren't going to happen. But, but they will dominate and predominate the landscape of debate unless we rebalance them with an ethical debate, which is what the New Zealand Prime Minister has put on the global agenda about an ethics of, as I said, kindness, empathy, compassion and wellbeing and, and other things that she speaks to as a counterbalance to all of the violence and the harm that's rising up. So I'm not surprised karmically or spiritually, esoterically, however you would choose to describe it, that harm turned up in her space in a big way, in an unambiguous way, because ironically she's unambiguous about her ethics and about how society, um, what it needs to move towards. So it's a great contest of ideas and it's a great contest of experience and we would do well to really understand the opportunities that arise out of this, you know, absolutely um, honouring the grief, uh, you know, the anger, the you know, all of the feelings that arise up in all of us in witnessing what happened and those things have to be honoured to their fullest extent. Uh, and in so doing, take any anger that arises, not as a, a means of seeking retribution or seeking moral superiority or seeking payback, but as a signal, a clear signal to say one unacceptable, unambiguously so, clearly uh, without debate unacceptable, now how do we move to a better world? Um, Rather than falling into retribution, payback, 
and more harmful thoughts, words and actions. So it really is a threshold point. And I think for the Prime Minister, the biggest challenge for her and her leadership is to maintain that ethic and to use it to counterbalance what would otherwise be quite a destructive narrative in, in at least New Zealand society, but I suspect global society more broadly, and certainly for that matter in Australia. So, so I think she can do that, and I think she will do that. Um, but I think it's it'll be one of the greatest tests of her leadership that to have the courage to speak to ethics um, means inevitably that something will turn up and challenge it as brutally as what happened yesterday. Um, and now the challenge for all of us to, is to get behind the New Zealand Prime Minister and anyone else who who champions that cause of ideology, which and I think we should, and make it work and say we will defy the violence, we will defy the harm. Uh, we will move in a direction that's far more positive. We will honour the grief. We will honour the anger. But take the anger not not as a place in which to dwell nor operate, but as a signal to move to a better world. And and I think that legitimises the anger in so far as people are definitely going to feel it. And you can't tell them not to feel something. It's not just not possible. It, 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 given that it is a toxic aspect of mind, but it also you know exists in the human mind. There's no sense pretending that it's not going to. It is. It will rise up. But let's take it as a signal and move it into something more positive. You're listening to the Allegorical Life podcast. Events such as Christchurch, uh, they're awful to go through and everyone feels a terrible tear in the fabric of our collective consciousness and existence. Uh, how do you think increasing our capacity for compassion changes our experience of that kind of violence when it happens? Yeah, so it's a good question, Jordan. And the blog was originally about Burke Street Hall in Melbourne. And, um, and I'll go back to that briefly because I think what's about to play out in Christchurch is is um, very similar to what played out in the Burke Street Mall, and that is that there were there was about ten minutes of violence in Christchurch. There's probably less than that in Burke Street Mall, followed by many hours, days, weeks, months, and possibly even years of compassionate response, caring for those who had been impacted, those who had been left behind, those who were grieving the loss of loved ones. The compassion and all that came with it in that space is still going on but we've moved off it in our public commentary very very quickly and returned to the the discourses and the narratives around the violence and the harm now as i said earlier in this podcast that's important you can't ignore that um you know the agencies need to recontextualize reframe reposition for that harm when it rises up next time and it probably will i'm sure it will um, but let's rebalance it with also what we were capable of showing and doing. So Henry Dow's observation of Burke Street Mall was simply this. He you know, he looked down the mall and he, he made the comment, he said, I could see no evil. He said, I, I, could, I saw a man who did a very foolish thing. He said, but even the police were dealing with him in a compassionate way. They were treating his injuries whilst arresting him, of course, entirely appropriate. Um, but treating his injuries as well as treating everybody else's and everybody was treated as a human being. And, um, and that's what he saw. And so he made the comment that he could see no evil. Well, the reason he could see no evil was it wasn't there, it didn't exist, that what was present was compassion. What was present was the best of humanity. And I have no doubt that that's what happened at Christchurch, that people stepped in and stepped up and did whatever they could within their capacity to help somebody else. So there, were, there was 10 minutes of violence and pain and suffering 
initially, which will, which will pervade for a long time, I have to say. The pain and suffering will go on for a long time. But, but there were, you know, an overwhelming response by the New Zealand people, the authorities, the government, the Prime Minister and everybody else in, in support, in compassion, in the, you know, showing the best of what humanity has to offer. The police officer who put his life on the line to arrest the assailant, I think he was operating independently. He may have had a colleague with him or maybe not far behind him, but he took unilateral action to arrest the offender. I mean, that's just extraordinary. There was a vision of a young boy... A young man, and it was sensibly cut off before the violence was was uh, completed. But he stood up to the gunman and attempted to wrestle the firearm off him. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to do so. And I hope he is lauded as a hero because he did. He just did the most extraordinary act of courage uh, and selfless act of courage on behalf of everybody else that he was trying to protect. I mean, here, here we see again the, the innate um, and implicit capacity to be compassionate and to consider the needs of others and that is what we have to continue to strive for in society that is what the prime minister of new zealand uh, seeks to to engender in her in her politics and in the in her leadership during during her term as prime minister and and i can do nothing but advocate and support for it because i think that's really the truth of the matter and so yes she's advocated an ethical premise harm has turned up to test it and so well how serious are you all about this and I think we should be very serious about it. And I, th- I think we should have a very sophisticated and respectful and complex discourse about compassion and kindness, empathy and well-being. what it really means for all of us um, as we navigate harm as it inevitably will rise up. Mark, that's probably a good question to end on. What do you see as some simple steps that we can all take to look at things through a more compassionate lens on an everyday level? Look, I advocate a lot that I I think we've lost our confidence, competence and wisdom in this space. I think we have uh, grand narratives in society, and if I can, you know, be so bold as to suggest and to simplify, of course, that from from a far left-leaning politics, we have a politics of shame, so we tend to throw virtues at other people. I spoke about this in a previous blog about virtue signalling. And then uh, from the far right, we have a politics of fear, uh, we, we engender all this fear into people about, you know, the way the world could be and then what happens in Burke Street Mall or what happens in Christchurch is exemplified as being the norm or the standard um, or what have you, and it, which is not true. They're exceptions, but by far they're the exception as to where society generally operates. Um, let's move away from fear and shame and let's move towards being more compassionate with each other and, and committing to that. And, and I just think we need to educate ourselves build our confidence and develop a wisdom about being kinder and more compassionate, more more empathetic um, to ourselves and to other people. And, and honestly, is that really an unreasonable expectation in society, in family, community, or even for ourselves? Is that, un, is that really unreasonable? I think the answer has to be no, it's not unreasonable at all. I think it's entirely reasonable. And let's put some effort into that. And that's going to be hard because we're not used to talking about those things. Um, it takes great courage to speak to those. And I'll come back again to why I have such admiration for the New Zealand Prime Minister because she is unambiguous in her pursuit of these issues. And that's the level of leadership it's going to take with enormous amounts of integrity and commitment, I've got to say. You can't spin this stuff. You can't, can't market it. It's got to be genuine. Um, people will sniff it out a mile if it's not. I think she is genuine and I, th- I think her country will benefit greatly. But 
So I think to answer your question, Jordan, uh, th these things need integrity, they need commitment, they need leadership that's prepared to step up and step in, uh, speak to these things and move them forward to the best of their ability and, and we should get behind it and support it um, and make this world a better place. And that really is why we all come here with our gifts, you know, with our lessons, you know, what do we stand for, what do we believe, what do we need to learn, what, what have we got to offer? And those things should all be can all be moving towards a better world for ourselves and other people. Thanks for joining us today on the Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.